Hello, and welcome to Nevermind the Pain Points, a podcast dedicated to helping you unlock your business challenges. Pulling on our network of clients, partners, experienced employees, and industry experts, we wanted to share with you our views and opinions on common business challenges. As a consulting firm that deals with these pain points on a daily basis, we thought we were well-placed to give insights on addressing these challenges. On this episode, Tom Coppock, Head of Consulting at AcroTrend Solutions, discusses with Matt Austin, a managing consultant at Claritas, the importance to businesses of connecting data and customers and how good analytics can aid in the transformation of your customer experience. Enjoy the episode. My name is Matt Austin. Uh, I'm a consultant at Clarisys and I'll be hosting this interview with Tom Coppock from AcroTrend. Tom, great to be here with you. Thank oh, you very pleasure, much Matt. for inviting, you for inviting us inviting to, your, uh, to your beautiful office. Um, you're head of consulting at AcroTrend. Could you tell us a little bit about what that means? So what is AcroTrend? Um, and then maybe a little bit about kind of your journey, how you got here. Yeah, sure. Okay, so so you, you, you may not have heard of AcroTrend before. Essentially, we're a specialist consulting firm. So we're really focused on uh, customer analytics and insights. So that's really anything... Um, anything in the process to getting those insights, getting those aha moments that you can use to um, you know, enhance customer experience and, and enhance the offerings you provide. So you know, typically that starts with data, an, another popular topic alongside uh, customer experience. Um, you know, so any, bringing the data together, getting a single view of the customer, cleaning it, uh, you know, aligning it, etc. Um, analyzing that, so that might be funky visualizations, it might be um, data science or machine learning algorithms that, that are actually finding the, mm. you know, the, the, the hidden uh, value in your data. Um, and then, then the third piece, which really is, is where we depart from the kind of traditional data warehousing, is, is putting those insights into action. So we do a lot of sort of smart workflows, um, you know, personalization, segmentation. So again, linking back into that theme of customer experience, um, you know, whether you're phoning into a call center and you want a single customer view in front of you, so you've got all the information there to respond to that request or question first time, through to um, you know, feeding data, enriching profiles in your CRM or in your marketing automation system. So, so again, you can uh, respond to people and personalize the experience in, in a way that's relevant to, to, to their needs and their interests. That's that's awesome. That's that's AcroTrend now. That How about- is AcroTrend in a, yeah, more than two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> How about yourself? What's your story? So I've been here coming up six months now. Um, so so I look after the consulting team. Essentially, we're we're doing a lot of the the business consulting um, with with customers. So we're trying to work out exactly you know what their needs are, what their pain points are, and uh, what the best solution is to, uh, to, to 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 help them move past those. So working with large and small customers. Customers in a whole variety of different uh, different industries. Prior to joining AcroTrend, I was actually more on the um, sort of solution consulting side. And so I was running a pre-sales team for a company called Sprinkler, which is in the social media space. So very mm. very aligned to you know omni-channel experiences and and, you know, and understanding the customer journey. Uh, and then prior to that, again theme of customer experience, I worked for a company called Marketo, so one of the leading marketing automation vendors now, part of Adobe, who is my um, former employer before that. So so again, you know they're a good example of bringing together content and data and, and personalized experiences. And there I did a, a whole range of different roles from running pre-sales teams to running their business consulting practice. I ran uh, value engineering in Europe. And I also ran the strategic account program um, in, in Europe for Adobe. So it sounds like you've had a, a good mix of, let's say, more business-focused roles 
with a healthy sprinkling of more technical bits and pieces. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, at heart, I'm a geek. You know, my, my background is in technology and de- you know, delivering big systems and integrations and things like that. But yeah, I like to get out there, meet the customers, actually understand how, you know, not not just how the technology is going to work, but how it's going to solve their problems. And yeah, consulting is a great role to bring together all the, those different experiences. Exactly. And that's that's one of the reasons we're here is because we believe that there is that connection between the customer-centered view and the technology that supports it. So I think that connection is important to us. It may not necessarily be clear to all of our, our listeners, or at least in a practical sense. So one of the things that we're going to try and do, hopefully, as we talk today is break it down a bit. So maybe we'll talk a little bit about what it means to be data-driven, why analytics, why is that a thing that's had a lot of focus recently? And then moving on to this this customer experience thing. So it's not a new thing for businesses to want to focus on customers, but it's it, there's been a little bit of a trend towards a, a different kind of focus recently. Well, I think I, I think a, a little bit of a trend is probably understating it. I mean, <laughs> digital is such a part of people's lives. And one of the big changes we've seen is... you know bit long in the tooth like I am technology and IT was something that happened at the end of the process or to to help automate your processes or give you some some reporting to tell you what happened help the numbers add up but increasingly you know it's, it's not it's not IT anymore it's digital and digital is often a core part of the product it's not just how you market the product and how you reach consumers so many of the products you go and buy today actually have a screen or a voice that you can in- interact with them that becomes part of the customer experience and and it's it's quite difficult to compartmentalize okay well that's the technology and over here's the the, the sales system or whatever uh, the, the two go hand in glove now so no escaping that trend and of course if you want to compete and win in this environment you've got to you've, you've got to have the best experience you've got to have the best way of reaching customers and you've got to have the best way of keeping them so let's let's work our way towards that then so you've said there's been this move from the old IT function using technology. It's kind of recognized as an enabler, but it's turned into more of a a digital focus. How is it that being digital and data-driven has come to be such a big deal? When, When did that really start happening in your eyes? When? It's hard to pinpoint. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it's just been a growing trend and I think it's a, a trend that's going to continue. Some of the recent statistics about how much data is actually generated, um, I mean, this, these are kind of common, common themes that we see with customers. They've got their way of working with data and way of processing data and reporting it, and, and, and that's been evolving over time. But they've reached a tipping point where even if they got all the data that their current landscape is generating and it marshaled all that together and got it put together and you've got your single view of the customer, you fast forward another 12 months down the line and your systems are still going to be, still going to be ever more data. You're still going to be overwhelmed with this, this, this challenge. So there's a bit, of a, a bit of a change from trying to contain your data and, and make it nicely ordered and, and, and make sense to, to actually, well, how do I ride that wave? You know, how, how do I go with the flow of data and, and see where it's taking me? So, you know, one of the big trends is there's ever ever more data out there. Uh, you know, the other one is that there's ever more people who want to access that and make use of that. So in, in, increasingly people see being able to work with data as, as part of their job and they're frustrated. They, they can't get the numbers they need to support the analysis they want to do or the conclusion they're driving, then uh, they're frustrated and they start trying to create their own data, building a spreadsheet or trying to do their own, their own analysis. So I, th- I think there's, there's been this kind of cultural shift driven by the fact there's ever more data, driven by the fact that the customer experiences nowadays generate those those insights, generate that um, uh, that data. And, and that you know changes how we work. And then, of course, the third big shift is, is this kind of regulation that goes along with that. So uh, again, people are much more aware 
of how data is being used, whether that's from, you see in the news around uh, social media, Cambridge Analytica is the, the, the kind of prime example. Of course, um, yeah. Or through to GDPR, you know, pe- people are aware that, okay, my data is actually a valuable asset and the users of that data, the companies are aware of, um, of, of the penalties if they get it wrong. So a lot of companies are, are sort of trying to struggle with those those three points. You know, there's ever, ever more data, there's ever more use cases for data from individuals wanting to do anal- analysis through to machine learning and AI and recommendations and, and, and this, this, this sort of new compliance regime. And it's all centered on the digital way we live our lives now. You know, that's the, the source of the data and that's the, the opportunity of the data. I guess a, a few years ago, we were talking about the, it was the SMAC framework, wasn't it? So social, mobile, analytics, cloud, the sort of the, the digital transformation parlance of a few years ago. Um, it feels like all of the stuff you just described, it's sort of like an extension of that. So there's everything social, like social media is where people share effectively data. Mm-hmm. There's so much generated. Their devices are in their hands. Um, that part's not new, but how much of the world is centered on that device in a person's hand is, is just exploded. Analytics kind of speaks for itself. And yeah, cloud, the, the quality of cloud computing, the speed, the latency, all improving. It's like a confluence of different factors. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, some of the things haven't changed. Some of the, some of the things are exactly the same. What's the fuel that drives the transformation? Well, pr- pretty much it, the, the data at one end and the content at the other, and then the the experience execution or whatever you know, whatever you want to call the systems that build that customer experience. But it's the, the the interplay between them. You can't do anything without elements of all three you, you know the data by itself is inert it doesn't tell you anything it doesn't do anything it just sits there hmm. but you, you, you know you've, you, you've got to wake it up you've got to put it to use you know so you, you need to know what you're going to ask it but you also need to know how you're going to use the answer to that question so how are you going to apply that to drive that experience so you've got this interplay between the different aspects of that transformation journey and, and I think that hasn't changed you know some of the the, the cultural aspects of, of how it becomes part of our life is changing and we can see that changing gosh you can't get away from it you put the news on and uh, and it's there you know, it is changing how people think. It changes how people interact. You know, if I look at the kids, you stick your head in the room and they're, they're all sat there silently on their phones. Whether they're playing, even playing each other on their phones and not necessarily talking, but playing cards or whatever, you know, whatever game that they're, they're, they're playing there. It's, it, it, it really is changing how, how people interact. So I think the, the cultural the cultural use of technology is changing but the, 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 the raw ingredients are, are exactly the same you've got there's the content is the 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 automation and the the, day, the data that goes along with it the picture of that yeah like you say the, the kids who are growing up with this stuff i know the phrase digital natives has been bandied about a lot but it's so true there's this sort of completely different generation coming up now as well i, th- I think the one i like is the digital dependence i think that's <laughs> the uh, if you turn the wi-fi off you want to punish the kids turn the wi-fi off or i had a punishment phone that i used for a while that was that was quite good um (laughs) you you know it only plays snake or whatever it doesn't doesn't give you the full access so you know it really is if you you know if you if you you cut that off if you cut it's it's not even being digitally native it's it's they don't actually know what to do um (laughs) if you if if you take that away i I love the idea of putting a a nokia 3310 into the hands of a five-year-old and seeing what happens i'm sure they'll they'll find new ways to use it that i could never dream of yeah (laughs) Yeah, this the teenagers oh my goodness yeah yeah yeah, terrified by not having an iPhone. (laughs) So analytics, how does it become something of a business differentiator? How has that landscape changed, if at all, recently? I think one big change that we're we're seeing a lot is, is people are asking about how do I monetize my data? Now, obviously, in the world of Facebook and Twitter, that's been part of the value proposition and part of their business model for a long time. Mm-hmm. But uh, more and more companies are looking at, well, actually, what's the, the dormant value in the data? 
And more and more companies are realizing the the cost impact of, of bad data. I mean, you see a simple example of you phone the call center and the person can't find who you are or finds three versions of who you are and, and, and needs to work through different systems to be able to service your request. It takes longer. It costs them money. As I say, you know, we're seeing there's more data. There's more people want to use it. There's more use cases. So that cost implication just gets uh, magnified. So, you know, we're seeing on one hand people struggling to maintain and manage that data quality Uh, and especially given the context that to create a customer experience you need a whole range of systems you know even even the smallest marketing team will be using some sort of marketing automation some sort of analytics some sort of search some sort of website so immediately you've got four four or five systems even for a a business of two or three people that just gets worse and worse and worse the the, the bigger you go so you've got more systems that are creating the data more ways and trying to manage that so we've got this this recurring theme about how do I ensure consistency and quality across the business and how do I avoid cost and uh, associated with that how do I avoid the risks associated with that you know fines or compliance problems or the reputational damage of a, of a data breach or, or being hacked or, or, or whatever and then and then people saying well okay you know, and, and how do I make it work for me is it just better marketing spend which is kind of the you know the customer experience story or actually are there new use cases so this is where the the, the data science the analysis comes in you know if you've got work with large some large private healthcare providers and they've got a whole range of information and actually the 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 will to use that to find what is the best care pathway that's going to deliver the best outcome for 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 a patient for example and historically that's been sat in the consultant's head and it's down to just the knowledge of that that highly trained expert who's going to give you that advice but actually suddenly you're in a world where you can look across thousands and thousands of, of, of consultants and thousands and thousands of, of treatments or operations and, um, and find new, better, more improved, enhanced ways of doing them. So, so you know, suddenly that's valuable, whether that's valuable just for improving somebody's life <laughs> um, and, and, and health and well-being, or we, we see a lot of people looking at, well, okay, how can I monetize that? Is, is there other value? Can I share that data with other third parties? How can I do that in a compliant way? But if I did, is there, you know, is there additional value I could create? from that, that kind of core asset. It's, a, it's amazing how if you uh, you relate it back to improving patient outcomes, medical outcomes, it suddenly becomes incredibly real. Yeah, for, for things like machine learning, I mean, it's it's it's, a, it's not an easy example, but these these algorithms are only as good as the data you can get in there. So again, you've got this this desire to get as much data as possible, and feed the algorithm to find the, the the non-obvious answer. So there's lots of new ways you can apply data and lots of value that you could get out of that. But again, you you need, you need clean data. You need to be able to bring that together. You need to be able to work out you know, what are the questions I'm going to answer uh, ask that that and, and and why is that the right question but if you can if you can do that the technology is now there and mm. the economics of that technology are radically different to before you can do huge scale data analytics and machine learning are pretty cheaply and pretty fast whereas five ten years ago you'd have needed to spend millions of pounds on a giant set of infrastructure and, and you wouldn't have seen any return on that investment for 18 months whereas now you can run these projects pretty in a pretty agile way your your point about um, even fundamentals like data quality is really interesting, and I say we've seen this with with a lot of our large enterprise clients as well. Is there's a fundamental quality problem that a lot of them have. The example that comes to mind is is the simple duplication of contacts, for example, mm-hmm. duplication of customers um, that has very practical consequences for how those customers perceive what you're able to provide them if you can't locate the right record. And I'm just wondering what your view is of are particularly maybe large enterprise clients who've built up data and systems that generate that data over years, possibly even decades, are they starting from further back in trying to make the most of that because of that situation? 
I don't think so. I mean, we, we've we've got a range of customers from new tech startups who are you know, doing things like mobile apps and things like that. That's their, that's their business. And again, you know, the key part of their business model is how they monetize the data that they're, they're collecting. Um, so you know, they're hugely focused on data quality and deduplicating and cleaning that data. Uh, we've got small businesses through to large enterprises with, with multiple different lines of business and uh, teams and functions. Some of large historical investments in analytics, some are just starting, but every single customer we deal with, at some point you get around to a conversation about, well, data quality. And and I think the big difference is, is, is really where they put that in their roadmap. The, the people who've been doing it longer and have got more data are actually probably further ahead because they realize the value of, of, of getting that data quality. The ones who haven't addressed it before tend to explore the more tactical options you know well maybe i just move data from this system to that system and then have two sets of data that will that'll solve my problem because whichever system i look in it'll be the same and of course the reality is then whichever system you look in it looks different and so that that puts off that problem or we have you know you might say actually i need reports i need i need to understand what's going on i want to be able to do my analysis so you start with the, the reports and, and you build some beautiful dashboards and you can let the people self-service and ask their own questions of the data and and then within a few weeks you can guarantee they'll come back to you and say i don't think the number's quite uh, telling me what i expected and then we'll, <laughs> we'll get back to the conversation about well where's the data come from how are you consistently collecting it do you validate it when it comes in the system how do you deduplicate it and again, you end up back at that, that kind of data quality issues. So uh, I, I don't think there's a big difference. New startup versus, you know, aging enterprise. I say in some, in some ways that the, the longer in the tooth customers are, are anticipating some of these problems hmm. um, earlier on in their journey, which, which actually puts them in a better place. So yeah, either way, you need a clean data pipeline if you want to use the data. You never aim for perfection in these things. Um, unless you're doing financial reporting or you know there's a few use cases where you've kind of got to aim for perfection mm. but most of the time it's um you know you're never going to get to the stage where you say right well my data quality project's finished i'm, I'm done i don't need to worry about that again for another three years i mean it's, <laughs> it, it, it's it's much more about baking it into your operational processes baking it into your ongoing uh ways of working and, and having the right people and process around the technology to um to to, to, to ensure that consistency and, and, and like i say make it business as usual rather than a you know i think uh, we get asked to do a, a one-off just just come and fix our data quality and we have to break the bad news that even if we did that wouldn't fix the data quality problem it's, it's much it's, it's much about business change as it is about doing a one-off clean or something like that absolutely a metaphor that's that's often touted for, I guess, a number of things in business is the uh, the idea of a gold rush, and I think that's been applied to data. This idea that it's sort of the new the new gold, and there's all these businesses sort of springing up around, maybe not sort of handling and analysing data themselves, but sort of serving that overall ecosystem. Do you do you buy into that at all? Um, I mean, obviously, I think the industry has definitely got a lot of potential and, and a lot of growth ahead of it. Uh, you know. So certainly how I'm making my living. Who, who are the ones who are getting rich? Possibly the ones selling the tools, uh, as, <laughs> uh, as the old an, uh, analogy goes. So it's a, yeah, the, the, the people selling the tools to the miners are going to make more money. I, I can definitely see there's some very fast growth businesses in the cloud warehousing space or the, the data pipelining space where they're offering better ways of doing things than you had before. And, and, and obviously that's very attractive to people trying to, trying to wive, ride that data wave. Give you a sharper pickaxe to use. Exactly, exactly that. Exactly that. So, but yeah, I mean, de- definitely there, there's a lot of potential there. Definitely, it's going to cause a lot of disruption. Is is it a 
you find the right the, the right combination and, uh, and and suddenly you're rich uh, I think it's more nuanced than that I mean the same mm-hmm. the, the, the same with all of these things you know is is the shopping experience better because you've applied data well yes but it's actually hundreds or thousands of little small incremental changes that that, 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 uh, that make it better so it's not a find the magic pot of gold and then and then retire early you know there's still <laughs> a lot of hard work to go to get to achieve those little outcomes that uh, that actually deliver the business results I think that's a good message for people to hear as well. Yeah, don't don't just implement some technology. Say so you've in quotes done data and assume that everything's going to be fine. That the people, process, organization aspects it, can't go away. It, it, yeah, yeah. There's no there's no getting away from it. There's no no getting away from it. And some of it is new. I mean, well, a lot of it's new. The, the capabilities new. Some of the problems are old, but the the, the capabilities new. And yeah, it's like all like all of these things. As, as you get that that exponential explosion of possibilities and, and different variations of data and source systems and so on you need to have the governance around it you, you need to have the right structure to understand it to to organize it to prioritize what you're working on um so there's definitely a maturing of this uh, a maturing of the space um where the, the you know people are taking different approaches they're, they're looking at it for the long term if you take that longer term view that's when you'll uh, you'll uh, get the return on investment makes good sense I'd like to change, um, let's focus ever so slightly now. So we said we were going to focus on the customer. Mm -hmm. And indeed, we're saying that we think that there is this renewed focus on the customer recently. It's not like businesses have suddenly realized they've got customers and, oh my goodness, we should should think about those. But what what do you think has been the change in in how, I guess, everything from enterprises down to startups are changing the way they address the customer and maybe the way their business serves the customer? The consumer world is the obvious one to, to look at, but I think that's fair. You know, that's reasonably mature now, and and you know, although there's there's technologies out there that are offering new channels and new ways of uh, engaging, you know, the 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 core of the the digital ecosystem is pretty well established. So you know, it's webs, it's websites, it's mobile apps. Dare I say, it's still email. Social media is kind of grown up massive. Maybe it's turning more into messaging now. Um, so there, there are, you know, there's, there's there's new ways of engaging. Obviously, the Alexas and the voice control is is coming in. But but that, a lot of the the core way of working is still it hasn't really changed. You know, and a lot mm-hmm. of it's about yeah, serving up content. Um, how you how do you play that content back? A lot of the, the the web technologies um, are exactly the same as they're, 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 they've been for a long time. So I think I think it, it, it's less a new world, but it's it's a sort of the number of possibilities are, are keep expanding. So it's sort of fractal. It's, it's like a, like a fractal. You keep keep finding new ways of doing the doing the same thing. I think some of the new interest, the more you know, some of the interesting projects we're getting into at the moment are actually on the B two B side, where there, there's been customer information and ways of working with the customer that that have really been heavily human centric uh, yeah. for for a long time. You know whether it's things like case management or in healthcare, looking at you know how the doctor writes the notes or insurance about how uh, how you work out the risk or um, do a credit rating of a company or whatever. You know that 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 has been really depend heavily dependent on the manual workflow in between you know you've got a highly trained expert that they this is how they work with their customer data this is how they deliver their outcomes and i think 
that's actually where we're seeing more revolution now um, mm. because you can you can you can take a 500 pages of case notes and have the AI read them for you and suggest or predict what the outcome is going to be or where you should go and look or what the next step should be and um, that's a bit of a game changer that's in some ways more radical than okay there's a, a new way of interacting with our e-commerce system but it's the same e-commerce system you've had for, for the last you know, five ten years or an evolution of that um, but you, you know okay now you can buy on a social channel you can buy through messenger or whatever I mean it's yes it's new but it's still kind of familiar in that okay this is this is how it's worked for the last 10 20 years it's still an e-commerce system I need to pay it's something's going to put my delivery address in and so on whereas some of these more I, I don't like the term I like the term AI but I don't like the term AI but you know some of the, the these ways of dealing with unstructured data and, and the, the possibilities that are held within within that data that you can then surface and use to change your, your customer experience. So instead of having to pay £100 an hour for a solicitor and and, for, for tw- and pay for them to sit and read all your case notes, you, you know, maybe you can shorten that down into one hour's uh, uh, worth of, of their time rather than five hours worth of their time. And, and again, that's a radical way of changing that customer experience and a, a sort of paradigm shift for that industry. And competitive advantage and, and, and so on that go, goes along with being the first to adopt those technologies. The thing that everyone sees is the consumer world, but actually I think the business world is going through a, a bigger bigger uh, revolution at the moment. It's interesting, isn't it? So I think just to try and summarize some of what you just said, that the technology has enabled or it's caused a change in consumer expectations. The way I mean, this is not a completely new idea, but the way that consumers have content served or are able to interact because of what the technology has enabled them to do, it changes their expectations of every interaction that they have. Um, it needs to be higher quality. It needs to be faster, fewer mistakes. I want you to understand who I am and mm-hmm. the last time we spoke and that kind of thing. And then there's this sort of gravitation across towards B2B, where well, anyone who buys a service for a B2B company is also a, a consumer in meat space. So. Yeah, and you want, you want it faster, quicker, easier to understand, you know, aligned to your needs and, uh, and, and obviously cheaper as well. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of those, those, those kind of consumer expectations are, are coming back in. I mean, it's, it's interesting as well. We were talking earlier about the fact that digital is part of the product. So even products that are, are, are traditionally non-digital, I mean, delivery food's the great, great example at the moment. But, but you know, the 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 expectation has changed. You know that I can track the the, the food on the way to, to to me. I pay less to have that that delivery done. It's it's as near real time as I can get uh, as I can get a McDonald's delivered to the door or whatever. And I think that that kind of expectation has changed. And and the you know people fundamentally it's still a delivery business. Okay, but it's, it's the the technology enables people to use it in a, in a in a different way. So I think there are those kind of more revolutionary ways of doing things, but it's, it's not necessarily the technology driving it. It's the expect yeah, it's the consumer expectation. I want things now. <laughs> I don't want to wait. <laughs> in your interactions with AcroTrends B two B customers, mm-hmm. what are some interesting things you're recommending recently? Is there a change in the kind of way you're advising them to to go about? interacting with their customers yeah i mean again coming back to the, the sort of data and insights and insights and analytics the the whole approach that we're advising people to take on data has, has changed you know i think it's moved away you know the, the, the focus of the industry has moved away from you know what has happened to what's going to happen so how you use data is less about a report of last last quarter's sales figures or or whatever to to, to actually okay what, what's next quarter sales it's figures? about prediction yeah. 
yeah, much more about prediction and much less about IT and, and managing infrastructure and admins and much more business conversations. And I think you know, one of the big changes is we're, we're seeing this, this interplay now between how you use the data. So before, pretty much data was a nice pie chart or something on your, your, your analytics dashboard that, that tells you something that happened or lets you query the data in a little bit. Whereas now... We're, blend, we're seeing a lot of blending together of the, the prediction, the machine learning. So, you know, predicting whether, you know, a good example, we did a lot of work in the gym space. So is, is somebody going to churn as their gym membership? And of course, you know, these are highly competitive marketplaces, you know, people can, can, can come and go. And the longer you can retain customers for, the, the, the better your return on investment. We could have had a, in the old world, you know, some sort of uh, report that's telling us, well, okay, this is how many customers churned. And, and we'll use that to set goals for, ne- for next quarter. But now actually we'll build in a prediction about whether somebody's going to churn. We'll build in the segmentation model to work out right down to what we call micro segments. Somebody at this gym location with uh, in, in this marketing segment, you know, maybe they're the fit and focused or maybe they're well and wealthy or whatever your segment, you know, whatever your segment might be. So, okay, I, I, can, I can suddenly have a micro segment of someone who's going to churn, who's in a certain marketing segment in a certain location. And I can feed that straight into my marketing system and push them a, a promotion into their mobile app that's, that, that, that encourages them to get back into the gym, to come back in. for, um, And so you can really start to link together that, that kind of predictive data science capability with the, the analytics and the organizational alignment around a, a KPI and the experience automation systems that actually seamlessly start to tweak the customer experience to drive you towards your, your, your business goals, which, if done right, should also be your personal goals. Well, you know, you signed up for that gym membership because you wanted to lose weight or whatever or get in, get in shape. If the technology is nudging you back in there and ultimately you, you, you achieve <laughs> yeah. your goal, then most people would agree that's a, a good use of their personal data rather than just showing them lots more ads. So, so you know, we're really seeing this this interplay between uh, the AI, the, 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 the visualization and the, the automation, which I think wasn't there before. Previously, they, they would have been uh, silos. Perhaps the AI wouldn't have even existed. I think the day that Google Home tells me to put down the biscuit is the day I move to a bunker. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, you mentioned marketing quite a bit there. Yeah. Um, I guess my perception is that in a lot of enterprise and smaller customers now, marketing do seem to be leading the way somewhat when it comes to making the most of data and analytics, and in particular um, of, of using it to do the right thing for their customer to, to acquire new customers. Would you agree with that? Um, and how does that get shared amongst the rest of the organization? So I'd certainly agree that in the customers we see, one of the most advanced teams will be marketing. And often one of the, the sponsors for our, for our engagements is going is to come from the marketing, uh, the marketing team. Um, where I think we've got to change the mold a little bit is this um, this assumption that your your analytics automatically leads to right we're going to sell them more hmm. and, and that's and, and ultimately in the marketing team you've got targets you've got to generate leads you, you've got to drive revenue in, and you've got some sort of revenue target or close link to the revenue target there, there's there's always that assumption okay using the gym example you know this person looks like they're going, we, we're predicting this person's going to churn from the gym and we've got a stage we can probably get sort of 95 percent accuracy saying you know as long as we define what it is in the next three months this person's going to leave their membership okay we could say here's a group of people in this segment who are very likely to, to churn so what do you do with that 
and, and this is where I think we've got to get smarter is, you know, well, okay, well, what, what can I try and sell them to get them to come back in? Well, actually, you know, th- there's other insights that data sh- you should be asking for the data. You know, why are they thinking of leaving? You know, and it might, might be nothing to do with the price of their membership or, or the promotion you sent them. It might be the, the towels are never clean when you get there. We you know, never have a clean towel. They can't book in the class they want to. Or maybe they're just moving house. So, so you know, we need to get smarter and sort of explore more of the the actionable use cases for that data because it isn't always right well put them in a campaign and blast them with some sort of advertising and and, and therefore customer experience big tick and i think this is where customer experience sort of extends beyond the marketing the the marketing team and it it becomes a whole company issue or a whole company question how do you improve the customer experience does marketing own the customer experience well they earn a, a, a bit of the journey but actually, the opportunities for companies looking to improve customer experience and improve how they use data is to look across every step in that journey, from acquisition to you know the, the, the relationship management, you know whatever form that takes, and sort of servicing the the, the the customer. There's opportunities all the way through. And so while you know, it's your original question, I think yeah, marketing's more mature than other departments in how they use data. Um, I don't think that maximizes the value you can get out of the data i think there's there's many more opportunities and often they're they're outside the marketing department and we've talked about that how crucial it is for for that kind of join up between well i guess at, at all the stages of a customer life cycle and so that's that's got to be born of different departments working together on that single customer journey you know to be able to actually genuinely delight their customers cxo used to be the term for uh, a person on a board mm-hmm. it seems that there are some roles popping up in the world where the cxo is the chief experience officer which would suggest the idea of someone who does have some kind of oversight across everything have you have you seen much of that do you think that's a good uh, yeah. idea i mean o- over the years yeah and um the other, the other one i think that's interesting is the the, the chief revenue officer which yeah. which is often the, often the same thing you know somebody who's who's looking at well over end to end how does the the business generate revenue and how do customers move through that that uh, that life cycle? So, um, yes, definitely a trend I've seen. I've seen less of it recently. Is is the is the chief experience officer a board level position that's here to stay? Yeah, I'm not sure. But you've, you've seen a lot of uh, realigning of, of of customers, you know, to move out of their kind of channel silos and, and and try and bring together the customer experience across the stages of the customer journey. I mean, we often look at mapping two aspects of this so we'll look at mapping the customer journey which i think is fairly common language now in in the digital industry you know i'm going to do a customer journey map okay you know is it a high level macro journey stages or is these you know micro journeys and, and, and within channels but that that kind of well okay what's the customer experience what what are the touch points what generate what data is generated at each touch point how do i bring that together that, that's pretty much bread and butter of, of marketing analysis or attribution modeling or what it, you know whatever However, you want to use that data in, in 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 marketing. What we also try and look at though is the is the the sort of flip side, which is we call it the customer engagement process. But we're looking at how the different uh, teams or you know inside the organisation support that that customer journey. So it's kind of the mirror image. It's like you know here's what the customer sees, here's the data they give you, here's what they're they're looking for at that stage of the journey, and then you're looking at well, okay, what are the teams inside? How are they using that data? Whether you know how do they hand off between different stages, uh, and are they servicing those needs, mm. and or holding them back, or holding them back, and, and then we'll try and look at well where are the breakpoints. So we so we do a lot of these kind of you know strategic assessments where we customers say oh my data's all broken, and we'll, we'll come in and we'll say okay is this a 
you know, is it really a data problem or is it really a, you know, an architecture and a technology problem or is it you know, something more like a process? Typically, it's a bit of all of them. But, but you know, we, we go, we're, in our methodology, we're, we're trying to map and those, those sort of mirror images of the journey uh, and work out, well, where is this getting broken? You know, if it's the customer can't get from this page on the website to that page of the website and that, that okay, that might be a, a quick fix. But more often than not, that kind of digital experience or that digital journey is quite well quite well managed. I mean, it's fi- finally orchestrated. It, there's methods in place to find any bugs and catch them and analyze it and measure it. Um, most of the breakpoints we find are in that, that, that customer engagement process, you know, how the different teams support the customer experience and do the handoffs. And again, back to one of the themes we were talking about earlier, I, th- I think that that's actually where a lot of the opportunity for getting more value out of your data exists. It's, it's about improving that efficiency, improving operational efficiency, and, and being able to marshal all the different teams in your business around the same, the, the same sort of goals and KPIs and doing that, that consistently, whether it's retention or you know, customer lifetime value or, or so on. You can get more sophisticated ways of trying to drive your long-term business goals rather than just everything's about cash through the register, what did they last buy, okay, they've purchased something, move on, where's the next one? Actually look at, well, you know, how do you build that ongoing relationship with the customer that ultimately means you're not looking at the value of the last transaction or what campaign got them to buy it, to, to put that thing in the basket and check out, but you're actually looking at how am I building loyalty over uh, over long term and what's that loyalty worth? And, 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 you know, if you take that perspective, you stop looking at the, the, the kind of campaigns and that, that really short-term call to action and actually say, you know, as a business, what are, you know, are we focusing on the right sort of customers? Are we delivering the right value to, to our highest potential customers? And, and then you can start to segment away or prioritize, well, where, where, where do we focus our investment? What do we work on first? What's going to give us the, the, the biggest um, bang per buck? That, that really resonates. And I think we're seeing a similar thing with, with Claris's customers as well. One thing that we've seen a lot is folks in different departments thinking they know what the customer is going through, um, maybe strongly believing, um, and they might have quite a lot of insights, but some of the more mature, and I'd say fairly far ahead clients we have, have seen the uh, the value in, I guess in some cases, going direct to customers and having a, a well-coordinated activity of figuring out, okay, well, what's actually going on with our customers? I mean, it seems like really basic stuff, but not assuming that because you've seen some reports and you have an idea of what your product is, that doesn't necessarily mean you know, like you say, the, the reason behind what's what's really going on with your customer. Yeah, and I think it's putting, putting it at the heart of your, your kind of strategy. Um, all too all too often you, you roll out your new shiny CRM system or new patient management system or HR and finance system or whatever and it's like great and it's got my new system in place but I, you, you've not thought about well how am I going to use the analytics out of that you know how am I going to do the reporting mm-hmm. it tends to be a little bit of an afterthought maybe the last two weeks of the project well I'll build some dashboards and and that'll that'll, that'll, that'll give me what I need but increasingly we're seeing uh, trying to put data as one of their core systems rather than you know reporting as just a, the last bit of their core system project and in that recognition of that they need to bring all the data together uh, and understand you know that customer journey but also standardize on well what do we mean by a customer what do we mean by a return on investment or something you know, these terms that, that, that yeah, everyone everyone talks about but how do you actually tightly define that and how you want to define that needs to you need to have line of sight back to what's your business strategy what's your business goals how how are you? You know, how do you want to be known? How do you want to differentiate? And if you get you get those pieces right, you can take that much longer, much longer term vision and build a real relationship with your customer. I guess it's, it's back to the customer experience piece. Who'd have thought it? A way to see a thread through from your customer all the way through to your business strategy. Sounds, <laughs> yes, sounds revolutionary. <laughs> slight change of tack here. 
trying to understand customers in a meaningful data-driven way um, that yields organizational results and and results for the customers themselves. How how does that work in a world where I mean maybe I'm just being a bit old school about this where people are hard to measure. I went on to um, do a degree in psychology and philosophy. So many, many years Good ago. <laughs> and, um, you know, this is before computers were everywhere. And uh, I mean, yeah, part of the excitement of the university was that, you know, this, this thing called the internet and they had uh, browsers and things like that. <laughs> um, there's a lot of things that uh, when I was learning them in my degree, I thought I'd, I'd never, maybe never apply or never use. But one thing you find out in psychology is, you know, inherently humans are, are predictable. And you can influence people, and you can influence people to, to, to get an outcome. And the last 10 years, I've worked in the digital marketing customer experience space, you know, doing you know, a few years back now, but doing lots of things like A-B testing and automated yeah. testing and web analytics and fallout funnels and things like that. And lo, lo and behold, you find it's just psychology at a mass scale. People are easy to influence. You put the picture of the dog, of the right breed of dog, next to the button when someone's buying their pet insurance. And guess what? They they have an emotional connection to it. You know, they're, <laughs> they're, they're biologically hardwired to faces, animals, movement, colors. You know, there's certain triggers that you can tap into. We're just chemical machines at the end of the day. And you, you can influence them. You put the, the right breed of dog, people click the button more. So, so, so I, I kind of see it the opposite way. You know, I think people are, to an extent, predictable and to an extent can be influenced and and, and obviously this this multi multi billion maybe multi trillion dollar industry wouldn't be here if that wasn't if that wasn't the case so see so yeah, i don't think the measuring the human is is difficult it's but again it comes back to well, what are the you know what what are the questions and outcomes you you you're trying to drive you know looking at this in the social media space again i spent uh, quite a long time working with some very big brands in uh, in, in social media um, and, and looking at how you run campaigns and how you create audiences and how you target people. And, uh, and again, it's just, just psychology on a vast, vast scale. And of course, you know, some of the scandals that have come about, I mean, people essentially doing psychology experiments to <laughs> ask the right questions to find out what motivates people and then shamelessly using that insight to, uh, to, to target them. But, you, you know, what you find is some people are more susceptible than others. That's just the way people are wired and, and, and the way they work. And, you know, of course, they're the ones who you're going to get best results out of from, uh, from, from targeting them and, and putting the right messages and pressing their buttons in the right way to get them to react in a certain way, whether that's buy something vote a certain way or get down the gym and, and do some exercise I mean, it can be used for, for, for good or bad uh, purposes it's good to know that the uh, the few books i have read on behavioral psychology were uh, were worth it I'm not saying everybody's entirely predictable and there is no free will and that would be a really big uh, question but um, <laughs> but i mean it's in, it's interesting and the other thing i was uh, you know back in back 25 something odd years ago when i was studying this stuff you know there's a lot of talk about um I was looking at the, the philosophy of AI, uh, and um, you know it's fascinating now. The, these concepts of neural networks and um, expert systems, and how you put these things together. This is the terminology you're using then. Actually, we're at a stage now where you can build these things in technology and again prove the theory works. So a lot of the theory actually hasn't changed. A lot of the, there's revolutionary technology. Actually, it's applications of quite old old theories. It's just the technology is there to actually test them out and prove that they work. But I think it's interesting because the if you heard of the, the Turin test, you know, you know, all this sort of stuff. And you know, that was, that was a, a big point of discussion when we were, we were studying this at university. And, and now, of course, it doesn't apply really anymore. Does yeah, it? you sort of go, well, actually, yeah, we've proved that you can trick people quite, quite convincingly. And they don't know if they're talking to a machine or a human, but that doesn't mean you're 
might mean they're intelligent, but does it mean they're conscious? And you know, there's still some boundaries that we haven't crossed yet. And yes, I, th- I think we live, live in a great age of discovery, but there's, there's still loads more left to, to discover and you know more revolution to come. I couldn't agree more. I think we could probably record an entire podcast yeah, or I mean, two we're on there. Excited about that sort of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the, at the risk of uh, branching off into uh, philosophy, um, maybe maybe we will do another podcast separately. But um, let's bring it back down to reality. So we'll, we'll start to close up here. Um, one thing that we're asking all of the people we speak to in this podcast series is if you could give one tip to the people listening on this area, what would it be? I'm not sure it's a tip as such, but I would say start, you know, start to think of data as, as, a, as a core asset for your business. Think how, how you would use that. Think of the investments that you put into your core systems, you know, whether it's your CRM system or whether it's your HR system or whatever. You know, every company has these foundational building blocks around where the rest of the business is, is, is assembled. And I think data is, 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 should be one of those, those building blocks. It should be a core system. It should be treated in the same way because um, the cost of getting it wrong is huge and the opportunity of, of getting it right is huge as well. So if I was going to give one tip or one pointer, I'd say don't look at data as an afterthought. It's not something that you do at the end of the project to, to work out, well, what did I learn? Actually look at that as is, you know, one of the foundational uh, elements of your, of your business your customer experience but actually of your whole business because that's where you can bring together all all the different departments all the different teams where you can get all these insights and and also improve your end-to-end performance so so yeah don't leave it too late invest in it up front um and uh, and and that way you'll reap the benefits makes good sense yeah treat it as like you say a core asset so another question we're asking everyone we speak to do you have any kind of recommended readings things that have been useful to you in this area that you can you can advise others to look at yes so i think paying attention to that 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 fundamental education in you know how do i how do i think strategically how do i approach change management has has, has been really important to me so less about you know insights into using data or you know particular algorithms or anything like that but actually well how do you structure your approach to to solving a business problem and, and, and rolling out that change so i think it's cool the four disciplines of execution, or you know, people might call it 4DX. My, my, one of my uh, um, mentors at a previous company would call it 4DX. He was absolutely passionate about this uh, the, 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 this book. But it was, it was really, really interesting because it talks about the leading indicators for success. So, you know, when you're doing any, any kind of measurement or any kind of change program, you, do, you, do you say, okay, look, it's, it's all about revenue. If I haven't achieved revenue, that's the goal I'm fixated on, which of course is an after-the-fact measurement. So they were looking at um, how do you choose the right leading indicators? So you focus on doing the right activity, uh, and the right activity is what's going to get you know give you the best chance of achieving the results you do. So so that kind of leading indicators, um, you know, another one of the themes in the book is is how do you get team par- uh, participation. Uh, again, very relevant for, for data and analytics is, is having a scoreboard. If you tell people this is the target, this is how everyone's done, okay, so what? But if you make it a team sport, if you give, if you put that, that target you're trying to hit um, up on a scoreboard and every week you make it part of your, your management meetings, you're, you're actually talking to your team about how are we doing against this, how are we tracking against it, uh, and you find people are competing. You know, they, they know that the management cares about it, they know there's a focus. Uh, and then they're you know, trying to outdo each other to, 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 to achieve that. And then the third thing that, that's really interesting in the book, which again is, is kind of motherhood and apple pie, but I see so many businesses getting this wrong, is, um, is focus. So when you're rolling out your strategy, uh, having a 10-point change plan 
I just throw it in the bin, honestly. honestly. <laughs> I've, I know, I've made the mistake myself. At the start of the year, I'll do my strategic plan. Here's the 20 things we're going to do this year, team. We're going to be great. And of course, you know, you might do some of them, but are you going to I'll do all of them? Of course, you're not going to do all of them. <laughs> so if you can cut it down, I mean, they say, I think it's three to five, realistically, two or three things. If you're really going to try and change a business as the CEO of, of your business or the, you know, the, the, the functional leader for a department, you want to get out there and, you know, make it really clear. There's, there's, only, there's only two things we've got to do. There's only three things we're going to do. Two, three things. Um, make the measure. You know, how are we going to how are we going to achieve this? Look at the leading indicators. How are you going to get the team participation? Use the scoreboard, uh, and and that that you know that that combination of simplicity, uh, focus on 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 doing the, the right things rather than the outcome, uh, and team participation is actually key to rolling out any change. So, um, yeah, that's one of the, the the better books I've read recently, and um, uh, not just. I wouldn't say read recently, but one that I've applied multiple times and at least for my, my own personal satisfaction validated the approach works. A great recommendation. And that's going straight on my my reading list. <laughs> um, some really great messages, even in just your description of it. So thank you so much for that. Pleasure. Tom, thank you very much. It's been really great talking to you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Nevermind the Pain Points. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your favourite podcasting app or site. We would love your feedback, so please leave a review or drop us an email at podcast at And for more information about us, visit our website, claracis.com.